Announcements are good. Uh, announcements are about good things, but God's word is even better. Uh, all of these events that we do, they are ministries of the word. Uh, they're things that we want to point people, uh, use to point people to God's word and how God has revealed himself. So let's get ready now for this upcoming time of worship where we don't have to pray that God's word will be active because it has promised us that it will be active. But let's pray that we are active in listening actively, in applying God's word actively in our life, and then going out this week and using our hands and feet and everything that God has given us to do his word and not just hear it. So let's pray uh, that we are active in response to God's word this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we reconvene this morning on Sunday, many of us, we've had a long week, a week with discouragements or trials, different obstacles that we've had to face, and we're coming together to worship you, God. And Lord, I pray that this coming together and this reconvening of Christians, of gathering together, will be a time of encouragement for us, that it will be a time of challenging for us, uh, a time of regrouping as we prepare to go back out into the world in which you have placed us uh, to live for you, uh, to be ambassadors of you, to be evangelists of you, Lord, uh, to point people to the gospel. Uh, may you encourage us to do those things according to your word this morning. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Well, you can tell a lot about someone based on how they dress, can't you? You can learn a lot about someone's identity based on what they wear. You can understand their likes and their dislikes. You can maybe understand what part of the country they're from. You go to different airports across the country and you'll see more cowboy boots or more Hawaiian shirts. You'll see people dress differently in different parts of the world. What you wear shows your identity. It gives people a clue of who you are. Just try wearing a blue shirt at a Walmart, and you will find very quickly that uh, wearing a blue shirt at a Walmart will give people an impression of what your identity is, because they'll be asking you where they can find stuff, or a red shirt at Target. Uh, what you wear indicates your identity, whether you're a fan of a sports team, whether you're in the military, whether you work for a specific company, people learn about who you are by seeing what you wear. So the question is, is that if you claim to be a follower of Christ, what are you spiritually wearing? What is your spiritual outfit that other people see? Just as you go out of the house and you go to school and you go to work and you go to the places where you're supposed to go and people can see what you are wearing, what do people see spiritually from you, whether it's in public or in private? What are the behaviors that you put on? What are the attitudes that you put on? What are the words that you put on? And do they indicate an identity of one who is a Christian, is what you are wearing indicative of who you are. I think there's actually another way of putting that. What you wear spiritually is indicative of who you are for better or for worse. Whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian, 
a mature believer or an immature believer. What we wear spiritually, what we show to the world, gives an indicator of our spiritual identity. And so you notice that allegory, that metaphor of clothing that I'm using. You've heard me use that before in previous sermons because Paul has been using that in previous sermons. And this morning in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, you can turn with me now there to Colossians. Paul is going to be ending this motif where he uses clothing imagery. So you can turn with me now to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking specifically just at verse 12, where he's going to be talking about two things. He's going to be talking about your identity, and he's also going to be talking about your actions. And he's going to use the metaphor again of clothing, what you put on yourself to make the point that because your identity is one thing, you should be clothing yourself or putting on exterior spiritual outfits for others to see that aligns with your identity. So we can see that here in Colossians chapter 3, specifically in verse 12. Read silently with me as I read verse 12. Paul says, put on then, he's using that clothing imagery, like you put on a coat or you put on shoes. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. If there was another way of putting this verse, if we were to summarize it in our big idea, the big idea would be this, that your actions should imitate your identity. Your actions should imitate your identity. Or really, like I said in a minute ago, your actions, for better or worse, will reveal your identity. And are you living a false identity? Are your behaviors betraying who you actually claim to be. That's going to be what Paul talks about this morning. Your actions should imitate who you are. Because of that, for the rest of the, this morning, as we look at this verse, we're going to divide this verse into two halves. Paul is going to spend the first half of the verse talking about the identity of true believers. He's going to explain this is what a true believer is. This is their identity. And in the second half of the verse, Paul is going to explain what a true believer should be doing. So let's look at the first point. The first point is this, is that your identity, and when I say you, I'm assuming that you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you can just sit back and enjoy the show. This isn't about you. But if you are not a Christian, today is the day of salvation. This can be about you. If you repent of your sin, recognize your helplessness as a sinner and recognize that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and for your sinfulness, taking your sin in his place so that he could give you his righteousness. If you turn away from your sin and call out to God and ask for that forgiveness through Jesus Christ, the Bible promises that you will be saved and this will apply for you. But if not, this doesn't apply for you. This only applies to Christians. Because the true identity of a Christian is one who is chosen, one who is holy, and one who is beloved. When Paul says these words, he's not coming up with this for the first time. 
when he writes the Colossians. He's borrowing this from somewhere else. The words that Paul uses to describe the identity of Christians to the Colossians are the same words that God used in the Old Testament to describe the Israelites. Turn with me in your Bible. It's not on the screen, but turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, the word Deuteronomy means second law. Deuteros namas, the second giving of the law. This is right before God's people enter the promised land. They had been given the law the first time, and they were breaking it. They were not trusting it. They were rebelling against God. So now that they, a new generation is prepared to enter into the promised land, God, through Moses, is giving them the law again. He's reminding them of what the law is. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. And in chapter 7, I'm going to be reading starting in verse 6, before God gives a second time the Israelites the law, he's going to remind them of their identity. Read with me silently as I read out loud chapter 7, verse 6 in Deuteronomy. God through Moses says this to his people. God says, for you, the Israelites, are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you are the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And if you actually skip down to verse 11, you can look at verse 11 briefly. Look at what God says in verse 11 then. Therefore, verse 11, you shall be careful to do the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Behavior from God's people is an outflow from their identity as God's people. In order to behave and worship God with your actions, that starts with a heart of faith recognizing who your identity is as one who is in Christ. And did you notice that those three words in Colossians, chosen, holy, and beloved, all three of those words show up in this passage. And in fact, they show up numerous times all throughout the Old Testament. So we're going to break down those words. We're going to talk about what it means to be chosen and to be holy and to be beloved. Let's talk about that first one, to be chosen by God. Today in 2023, that is sadly controversial. The, the idea of being chosen by God is something that causes theological debates. It's something that churches will have different opinions on. You'll hear podcasts about the role of God choosing us. It's very controversial in Christianity today. But back then, in the New Testament, when Paul was writing to the Colossians, it wasn't controversial. 
Today, in a modern world where we value individualism and we value liberty and, and we like to be able to do things on our own and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, in today's culture, it's controversial to think that God chose us. But when Paul wrote these things to the churches in the first century, it didn't cause controversy. What did cause controversy was that God's chosen people would be someone other than the Jews. Those are the things that caused controversy, that the Gentiles, not the Jewish people, would be God's chosen um, nation. Because all throughout the Old Testament, God again and again referred to the Israelites as his chosen ones. I have a few examples for you on the screen. Psalm 135, verse 4, it says that the Lord has chosen Jacob. Remember, Jacob's other name in Genesis is Israel. When you see Jacob in the Old Testament, that's often referring to the nation of Israel. It says that the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself. Psalm 105, it says, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and these are just three of many dozens and dozens and dozens of instances where God refers to his people as his chosen people. You've probably grown up your life, uh, if you've heard Bible stories, hearing that the Israelites were the chosen people of God. Deuteronomy 10, 15, it says that the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. In the New Testament, when the apostles write to the Christians, they now tell Christians that their status as God's chosen people should be understood as the same way as the Israelites understood their status as God's chosen people. And in fact, in Galatians, Paul writes that really only those who are of faith are true children of Abraham. Only those who repent of their sin and trust Jesus Christ for salvation are of the true chosen nation of God's people. Look at how this is said in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter is actually quoting Exodus, by the way, when he writes this. Peter writes to Christians, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, a very famous verse on predestination and being chosen by God. It says that even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Do you notice these three words constantly popping up? In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Not according to him thinking that you're a pretty good person, so he better choose you like someone picks players for a fantasy football team. Not God having a crystal ball saying, oh, well, I know that person's going to pick me anyways, so I'll choose him first. That way it looks like I'm actually choosing him. No, God choosing his people is based only according to his will. God chose you not because you were good, but because he is good. This should be a terribly humbling fact that even your own ability to realize that you needed saved, to say a prayer, to walk down the aisle, to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
that that salvation was not rewarded to you because you were just more spiritual than the guy next to you, or you were smarter than the person next to you to realize your need for salvation. You are saved only because of God's grace. Israel hadn't become a nation when God chose them. The nation of Israel was only one man, a hundred years old, named Abram, with no children. And God chose him as a nation before there was any nation. In the same way, God chooses us before we ever have a chance to choose him. That's not my theology talking. That's not my personal preferences talking. That's not my doctrine talking. That's the word of God talking. The word of God leaves us no other choice but to recognize our status if you are a Christian as not ones who have chosen God, but as ones who have been chosen by God. Now, like I said, this is controversial because unfortunately, this doctrine of being chosen by God can be abused, and it has been abused. And I think there's a few clarifications that we need to remind ourselves of before we move on. If you live your life under the assumption that you are probably chosen by God, therefore you're never going to put your trust in his son Jesus Christ, you're never going to repent from your sin, you're going to live your life and assume that you will probably be elected and go to heaven anyways. I promise you, according to God's word, you will die and go to hell. I once asked a group of students how they knew that they were chosen by God, and there was silence in the room. This was a Presbyterian uh, group of students uh, many of them had been baptized as babies. They had been told that they could only be saved by being chosen by God, and it resulted in none of them realizing that if they just confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that they will be saved. Salvation is only received by faith. It's an act of grace, yes. It's a result of God's will, yes. But you must respond to it by faith. If you don't respond, you will die and be separate from God which is why God has given us, the church, the command to go out to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel to all nations, to all people, to all individuals. Because it's not our job to decide who will probably get saved and who will probably not get saved. That is God's decision. And every person who is saved is not a product of you, and it's not even a product of that person. It's a product merely of the grace of God. Your identity as a Christian, is one who is chosen by God. Not because you are good, but because he is good. And God doesn't just choose you as, as a way of being saved and, and you can feel good about yourself and be thankful for your salvation, although, although all those things are true. God has also called you. He has chosen you specifically to be holy, which is that second word that you see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, then, Paul says, as ones who are chosen, but also as ones who are holy. You might remember me saying previously that holy in the Bible has two basic meanings. That holiness can refer to spiritual purity and the process of being made spiritually pure. We call that sanctification. That word sanctification comes from the same word for holiness. We are in the process of being conformed into the image of God's Son, Someday when we die and we stand before the Lord, that process of being made holy will be complete. We will be totally glorified and made holy in God's sight. But holiness also has a second meaning 
that is also true, which is that Christians, when they are saved, they not only begin a progressive process of being made holy, they are also positionally declared as holy. You progressively become uh, holy over the course of your life, but also at the time of your salvation, you are declared by God as a holy people. This second word, or the second understand of holiness can be understood as being set apart. You are God's set-apart people. When I was engaged to Kimmy, I was at uh, my future in-law's house, the, the Dorfner's, and we were getting ready to have lunch, and we were looking uh, for stuff to make. We were looking for leftovers, and I needed a plate. And if you're like me, I think most guys are probably like this. The threshold for what constitutes as a plate is very low. You know, is it flat? Can you fit food on it? Like, that, if, it, if it accomplishes that, it works. And I was just looking out at the kitchen, and I was looking for a plate to put the food on, and I go to grab a plate, and Kimmy goes, no! We were engaged. Those are the wedding plates. They were circular. They were flat. You could put lots of food on them. That's all I needed. I didn't see any real difference between those wedding plates and all the other plates, but she did, and she recognized these are special. They are set apart for a specific day, for a specific purpose. These aren't like the other plates. These are the wedding plates. They're set apart. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart for a specific purpose. That's what you are as a Christian. Your identity is as one who is not only chosen, but one who was also set apart. Are you displaying behavior that is distinctly different from everyone else? Is the spiritual wardrobe that you are wearing, is it set apart and noticeably different from everyone else's, or do you just blend in? Like someone who goes to an NFL game wearing the jersey of the away team, it's hard not to notice that person. That person will stand out in the crowd when he's wearing a red jersey and 60,000 other people are all wearing blue jerseys. He's going to stand out. He's set apart. Is your behavior as a Christian that noticeable when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to family reunions? Is it obvious in the way that you are behaving not that you're better intrinsically than other people, because remember, you are only chosen by God's grace. You're only saved by his grace. But do you live in such a way that is noticeably different? That's what Paul means when he says that your identity is one as one who is holy. And then finally, let's look at that third word in verse 12 of Colossians. He says, you are also beloved. I have a few verses I could show you for that. Romans chapter 1, verse 7 Often throughout the New Testament, the apostles would refer to God's people as beloved. John, in his letters, was famous for calling the people that he was writing to beloved, his beloved children, because he's reminding them of their identity. You are ones who are loved by God. You are loved by God. Even if you're a Gentile, you are loved by God. You can see the examples up here. Ephesians 5.1, it says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Reflect on the fact that the God who made the Grand Canyon, who formed Mount Rainier, who put together the galaxies, and who could destroy it all, and has at times destroyed 
those things. He loves you. He loves you. He doesn't just love you in a stoic, spiritual sense. He likes you. He cares for you. His heart is one of compassion and tenderness towards you. He desires an eternity with you, not because you are good, but because he is good. That if you are a Christian, you're not just one who has been forgiven by God, you have also been loved by God, and you are loved by God. The God who made you also loves you. The God who created everything and who could love anything or anyone, he chooses to love you. Your identity is as one who is loved. All of this shapes the identity of a Christian. One who is chosen by a good God, one who is set apart by a good God, and one who is loved by a good God. That is your identity. Now let's look at the second half of the verse. And we purposely spent most of the time on the first half because what we see in the second half of the verse shouldn't take an hour of breaking down the Greek for us to understand. These words that we see in the second half of verse 12 in Colossians are very straightforward. These are words that we are familiar with and not only that, that we have seen in other people. Paul says, as a result of being chosen by God, by being set apart by God and being loved by God, this is how you should act. This is your company uniform. This is what is required of your dress when you go out before people. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility, meekness, and patience. All those things, you notice a theme. Lowliness. Not arrogance, not boastfulness, not high and mightiness. Oh, God chose me. Look how special I am. Oh, I'm set apart. Oh, look how special I am. Look how good I am. Oh, I'm loved by God. How impressive that is that God of the universe would love me. No. That, that despite your unloveliness, God loves you. Despite your total incapability of choosing God, that God chose you. Despite you being no better or no different than any other person, God setting you apart as his people. Recognizing that has no other choice but producing humility in our life. It's impossible to be an arrogant Christian who recognizes these things. And in fact, those who claim to be Christians yet display the opposite of these attributes are either lying to themselves or others or are merely on milk when they claim to be on meat. It is very popular to tell Christians that you need to be bold for the faith, which we do need to be bold, that you need to be strong for the faith, that you need to be willing to offend people. That may happen at times, but if we're going to offend unbelievers, we need to offend them with our kindness. We need to offend them with our Christ-likeness. We need to offend them with our truth spoken in love, which they hate because they hate the truth, even if it's spoken in love. Those things are not contrary to each other. There is a time and there is a need for boldness and for courage, but true boldness and true courage is most often shown when we are patient, when those who are hard to be patient with, when we are gentle and meek and kind, 
to those who deserve the opposite. Because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. We were that arrogant person. We were that unlovable person. We were the person who God should have just unleashed his wrath instantaneously on us and it would have been deserved in the same way that we want to do that to others when we feel like it's deserved to them. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was compassionate to us. Therefore, the way that you dress as a Christian should be one of meekness. It should be one of gentleness. Not in a way that suspends the truth. Not in the way that is not willing to take action when needed. But in a way that is Christ-like. That is laced with these attributes. Instead of seeing yourself as having a license to sin. Grandma Emanuel Baptist Church, the world is watching. The world watches Christians. You go out, and just as people see your physical outfit, they also observe your spiritual outfit. And the things you say and do, the attitude you display, the things that you put on indicate your identity in Christ. There you go. There's a second point. All these things that we see here. It's one of lowliness, humility, mercy, patience. But really, it's all summarized in the title, which is Christ-likeness. Show the world Christ by putting on Christ. Show the world the beauties of the gospel by putting on the beauties of the gospel. Show people the power of the Holy Spirit by displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's overlap, and it's for a reason. The world is watching. What we wear matters. If your identity is in Christ, let's put on the attributes of Christ as ones who have been chosen, ones who are set apart, and ones who are loved. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your abundant grace that you have given us. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. We don't deserve having our blind eyes spiritually opened. We don't deserve having our heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. We don't deserve any of those things. We couldn't accomplish any of those things. But you accomplish those things for us because you are good, even though we are not good. May we put on Christ-like behaviors that displays the reality of that identity. May we treat others in the way that you have treated us. May we reflect your goodness through our behavior. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, put on Christ this week and go in peace.